brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor podcast. I'm Shini Somara. And I'm Emma Keeling. Today on Razor, we look at what connects a universal snake bite antivenom, AIDS research, and a possible coronavirus cure. What we're hoping to be able to do is to engineer antibodies so that they can broadly recognize lots of these different toxins, no matter which snake bites a person, and so they can be neutralized in a generic manner. We also look at a DNA testing company that's turned its attention to COVID-19. Do DNA tests here. We don't send your sample to a laboratory. So everything happened here locally, and then we don't keep your DNA sample. So you just do a one-minute cheese walk, and then your result will be directly sent to your app. And we have a friend this week, Shinny, a guest star. Actually, she is the star because we're talking about her stories. Gosh, so many experts on this show. The repurposing of drugs or treatments originally used to treat other diseases is common in science, and it's happening even more now. Our colleague Joe Colin came across an example of this when researchers working to find a universal antivenom to snake bites received an unexpected phone call from the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. And we have Joe on the show with us to tell us all about it. Welcome to the Razor Podcast, Joe, our first guest. Hi, Shinny. Hi, Emma. It's so lovely to join you guys this week. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully you're not our last guest. Anyway, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Look, now, Joe, we were surprised to hear about this this phone call but the team at Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine they were also quite blown away weren't they? They were very surprised Emma and you'll remember because we were there working on this story together um, Professor Rob Harrison received a phone call from San Diego from Dr Devin Sock at the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative and Dr Devin Sock basically said let's collaborate and you would never normally think that HIV and snake bite would have anything in common. So I think Professor Rob Harrison's first reaction was, wait a minute, collaborate on what? <laughs> um, but yeah, that developed and they, they, they ended up working together and making some breakthroughs. So to give you a bit of context, here's a clip from Joe's conversation with Nick Casewell, who's working on creating this universal antivenom. This was back in episode one of the Razor podcast. So there are lots of different toxins found in different snake species, and these change from one species to the next. And what we're hoping to be able to do is to engineer antibodies so that they can broadly recognise lots of these different toxins, no matter which snake bites a person, and so they can be neutralised in a generic manner. And neutralised to the point where they no longer have disabling or fatal effects that's right. So we want to intervene with these antibodies that will stick to the venom proteins, the toxins, stop them from causing their toxic action, no matter what it is, where it is in the body, and ultimately prevent that damage or even death in a snake bite victim. Does that mean that we wouldn't be collecting venom, which comes with risks, and including snake venom in the process? Certainly we wouldn't need to take venom and inject it into an animal in the way that snake bite therapies are made today. We'd be able to, to grow cells that produce the antibodies in the laboratory and remove the animals from the, from the process. Now, Joe, so we know what we're trying to accomplish with the snake bite antivenom when it comes to snake bites. But how does it relate to HIV AIDS, firstly? And secondly, how does it relate to treating COVID-19? Great question, Emma. I think it's all about identifying parallels in terms of the variability challenge. So we know that 
HIV and snakebite independently present challenges in terms of their variability. You're trying to identify antibodies that can tackle an array of behaviors within that virus. And so, you know, because as you've mentioned, I think in a previous podcast, Emma, um, you've got all the different snake venoms based on all of the different species of snake. And with HIV, you have something that mutates rapidly and, you know, they still haven't found a cure, sadly, in 40 years. It's, it's very challenging because it presents so many degrees of variability. And so initially they got in touch with each other and said, we've developed these technological platforms that are dealing with this level of variability. And so we have common ground and effectively, you know, they, they've collaborated and I think they've made great strides together. So when it comes to COVID-19, I think we're also looking at degrees of variability because the coronavirus family present challenges in terms of how our bodies build up an immune response and how we, you know, can respond to those various different, I suppose, you know, viral infections. So I think it comes down to identifying the antibodies and developing a vaccine that can be universal, but, but tackle these, these different variables. Gosh, so what seems to be very different diseases and conditions actually has quite a lot of overlap. Let's hear from Dr. Devin Sock from the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. We've tried to develop platforms and tools and approaches to try and deal with that level of diversity. And that has a parallel challenge in the area of snakebite. So snakebite, there's so many different types of snakes. They have so many different types of venom. How do you create a universal product to treat against all of snake, um, all the different species of snake all over the world? And so we are identifying parallels in terms of the variability challenge from a scientific point of view, and how do you come up with the tools or discover the antibodies that could be broadly effective? I think in the immediate, we know that this virus that's circulating around the world is, is mutating, but not at a rate that is, you know, parallels HIV. It's, it's pretty static, relatively speaking. So we think that we can find effective antibodies against this current pandemic to really help with the situation. I think we're also thinking about it long term. So can we identify antibodies that can treat and prevent the entire coronavirus family so that we're not only developing products that can treat and prevent the current pandemic, but any future pandemic that might emerge from the related family. So a lot of the same principles that we're applying uh, to these different diseases. So how is, exactly is the research progressing, Joe? I mean, are we any closer to defeating COVID-19? Well, you know, I did read that Merck, the pharmaceutical company, and IRV, the um, institution where Dr. Sock works, are collaborating on a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and I think their approach, like developing a vaccine for any viral infection, is about identifying donors who have strong neutralizing antibody responses, you know, antibodies that have that therapeutic value they're looking for, and then isolating those and running trials in labs. So does that mean Dr. Sock and his team at AIV are putting their research on HIV on hold? You know, I doubt it. I think what we've all seen in the past few months in response to the pandemic is that laboratories and scientists all around the world have taken on research to do with the coronavirus and COVID-19. I don't think they are completely abandoning their ongoing work, but certainly the focus has been a priority because we've all wanted to get the world out of this you know, global pandemic. 
So what makes HIV such a difficult disease to treat when it's a lot harder to pass on than COVID-19? I mean, what's the sticking point? Well, as far as I understand it, HIV mutates very, very rapidly. And in addition to that, our bodies don't mount an efficient immune response. Um, And it's really those primary attributes that make developing a vaccine or a cure for HIV exceptionally challenging. Um, I think the challenge with COVID-19 is that our body does mount an immune response, but when they've tested a vaccine on animals in labs so far, the body has mounted such an efficient immune response, a sort of immunopathic response, that we then go into a kind of hyperactive immune response, which then causes greater damage to our body. At least, you know, they've found that so far, I think, in mice, for example. Now, Joe, it's so amazing to have you on this show. Can I please ask you a question? I've been dying to ask you since episode one. What was it like doing that snake bike story? Oh, well, I mean, Emma, Joy name, wasn't it fantastic? I think getting to see something like a snake up close, you know, you never want to see one in, in, wild, in the wild because they can be potentially fatal. I was really pleased they were behind glass and perspex. But you can't help but stand there in complete awe. You know, these are really alien creatures to us. They don't have arms and legs. You know, they really are sort of reptilian and ancient and very mystical in that sense. So I just was in awe all day long. And of course, they are very frightening. Their fangs and their venom, you know, are deadly. Um, But we knew that the handlers were capable and knew what they were doing. And it was so exciting watching those snakes writhing around on the floor freely. And and when they were having their venom extracted, you know, you just can't help but be completely over the top excited. Paul Rowley, he was the head snake wrangler. I'm going to call him. It sounds really cool when you say it like that. Um, He was a pretty cool character, wasn't he? He was such a cool character. I think if you had to cast a movie, you know, a big blockbuster Hollywood movie that had a snake handler, he'd be the guy. And as we were leaving, Emma, do you remember he said that he was disappointed that we had run out of time because he didn't have time to go downstairs and show us his tarantula collection. <laughs> Joe, what's it been like uh, talking to scientists and experts during this whole period of COVID-19? I wanted to give each of them a hug and that's not possible. So <laughs> beyond that, you know, beyond that, I feel I, I feel like we all feel an immense debt of gratitude just for the work that they're doing. Um, it's, it's, it's necessary work. It's tireless work. It's incredibly challenging, in, not just scientifically and from a public health perspective, but they're all dealing with the challenge of scalability. And, you know, I think we've seen just the hard work that's going into trying to find solutions, trying to get people healthy, trying to find, you know, a, a universal vaccine. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've felt an enormous amount of respect and also fascination. I know more about viruses and, and this particular family of coronavirus than I ever thought I would, as I think we all we all probably feel that way. One of the things I found, Joe, and you'll, you'll, be, you'll be the same as with Shinny, you know, you finish the interview and they're so grateful and they're so grateful. And all you've done is ask them a few questions. And here they are saving the world. And we're just answering, asking a few questions. But yeah, there they are just like, oh, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, as I you know. say, very humbling. I know, they're the ones wearing the superhero capes. 
One of the things we're seeing more of during COVID-19 is companies adapting their core business in order to adapt to the crisis. We've seen brewers start to make hand sanitizers and 3D printing companies move toward making personal protection equipment. One company that is in a unique position to do that is DNA Nudge. So before, this company was known for creating this useful gene sequencing business. And it's something that's perfectly suited to testing for COVID-19 as well. DNA Nudge is a DNA company, but then what's different between DNA Nudge with other DNA companies, we do DNA tests here. We don't send your sample to a laboratory. So everything happens here locally, and then we don't keep your DNA sample. So you just do a one minute cheese walk, and then your result will be directly sent to your app. Yeah. So uh, first of all, we will launch, so our product is about nutrition. So we have a cartridge, nutrition cartridge. So when you put your sample inside the nutritional cartridge, then it detects uh, the gene related to nutrition. Then it gives you a personalized recommendation when you go shopping. So it's not saying you can't have, um, like you have to have fruits, you can't have biscuits. But then you can have a biscuit, but then have a better biscuit based on your DNA. So tell us a bit more about DNA Nudge. So basically, DNA Nudge is a DNA-based technology. The user does a cheek swab to gather enough DNA, you know, from their own body. That gets inserted into a a DNA Nudge patented cartridge, which goes into a a shoebox-sized portable lab. Um, And it really is the size of about sort of a shoebox. In about an hour, you then get a DNA profile report, as it were, which has specifically looked for any genetic predispositions related to nutrition. So something like type 2 diabetes, for example, you may have a predisposition to develop type 2 diabetes in your life. And although you can't necessarily change your DNA, You can learn how to really take care of your DNA. You can become the best steward of your DNA so that your type 2 diabetes doesn't develop or overwhelm your organism and mean that you're sick later on, you know, throughout your life and have to follow a very specific diet and so on. I'm not sure I want to know exactly what my body doesn't like. I was going to say, I consider myself a fairly healthy person, but when I got back my DNA nudge results standing there in the store in Covent Garden. You guys, I was horrified. And, you know, we're recording it, so I couldn't have an emotional reaction, but I basically have pretty much every genetic predisposition out there. So I could develop some really scary health conditions. Now, luckily, I'm just naturally somebody who's pretty much eaten tons of veggies all her life. And, you know, I actually naturally am inclined to just stick to a very healthy diet. So in a way, it wasn't that much of a shock. But for example, if I drink a cup of coffee, I get really shaky. And lo and behold, my DNA shows that I am hypersensitive to caffeine. That would be terrible to find out. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) You did very well not to cry. (laughs) I needed to go lie down after we'd been filming that day. It was really sad. (laughs) So how have they adapted their tests at DNA Nudge to deal with coronavirus? 
Right. So instead of looking at the risks of genetic conditions as they might relate to nutrition you know, diseases or nutrition-related diseases, they adapted it to detect the RNA of the virus. Let's hear from DNA Nudge founder and CEO Chris Tomozzi. In uh, March, it was actually March that um, was the eureka moment. You know, we were sitting down in the lab and we started thinking, well, look, you know, all we have to do to this is basically change the primers on our chip, the bait, to bait that can detect effectively corona. That was the first step. And to change some of the mix in the cartridge to transcript from RNA to DNA. So once you've inserted the, the swab into the cartridge, we're able then to extract the virus introduce it into our cartridge, do the initial testing. And that's when we went, wow, because it's almost binary. You've either got the virus or you don't. That's the beauty of it, see. Um, it, unlike the genetics that we were looking at, where we're looking at mutations in our DNA, in our sequence here, we're just looking at, do you have the viral RNA or don't. So Joe, is this a long-term move or will we see Chris and his team move towards doing what he was originally doing once the pandemic's over? I don't think they're going to abandon the DNA nudge nutrition side of their business because it's really valuable. You know, it really will help people manage their weight, manage their predispositions. Um, Obviously, the COVID-19 research is really critical right now. Hopefully we will develop vaccines and antibody drugs uh, so they you know they can turn their attention to going back to their original core business so that brings us to the end of yet another edition of our razor podcast and we want to say a big thank you to joe for joining us and being such an incredible first guest i mean if only we had a present to give you but maybe later no, listen, thanks to you guys. And look, I'm loving watching all the coverage you're doing each week on Razor, you know, here on the podcast as well as on TV. So keep it up. You're doing fantastic work and it's all really, really awe-inspiring, fascinating stuff. Now, listeners, another one for you, breaking news. Um, as of next week, we will be moving our podcast to coming out every two weeks. It will still be on a Wednesday, you'll be pleased to know. But yes, every two weeks rather than one. We just want that little bit more time to put together some really fantastic stories and and scientific innovations for you. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.